Good afternoon. Monday afternoon. I'm Brett McGarry. He is Greg Mackling. Hey, Brett. How are you doing, my friend? I'm all right. How are you, sir? Not too bad. I'm not going to dwell on this lousy weather. I've been accused of doing that too often. So we'll just move on from the weather, talk a little bit about the weekend and some things that you observed in terms of barricades and traffic. Maybe have a chit-chat about that. Tell us changes in the offing. Have you been affected? How do you feel about being told that you're going to be migrating from MTS, now Bell, to TELUS with really no option? Yeah. No decision. It's uh, been made for you. So we'll open up the phone lines and get your reaction to that. And Tiger Woods arrested for DUI, and they're not saying whether it was alcohol or drugs. I'll just read this. Uh, quickly here, golfer Tiger Woods currently rehabbing from back surgery was arrested early on Memorial Day. Of course, it is a holiday in the U.S. today on suspicion of driving under the influence in Florida, according to police. Woods was arrested around 3 a.m. Monday in Jupiter, Florida. Jupiter police spokesperson Kristen Reitler said he was locked or booked into a local jail and released on his own recognizance with no bond a few hours later, according to the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office's online records. It's unclear whether Woods tested positive for alcohol or drugs. It's also unknown at this time whether Woods was the only person in the vehicle. An arrest report was not immediately available on Monday. Woods has a home on Jupiter Island, CNN has reached out to Woods' representatives, uh, but no comment as of yet. The PGA Tour told CNN it would not comment on the arrest. And a witness who was not identified in the report uh, apparently told a uh, Florida trooper that Woods that had I, been drinking alcohol one. earlier, and the same witness also said that Woods had been prescribed two drugs, the sleep aid Ambien and the painkiller Vicodin, this report did not say who this witness was, but added that it was the same person who uh, pulled. No, I guess this is, pardon me, this is dating back to 2009 incident. Sorry, I'm just sort of scanning through this story. This is when he crashed his, plowed his SUV into a tree in a fire hydrant outside his Windermere, Florida home. So at that time, uh, it could have been alcohol, could have been uh, Vicodin as well. So I mean, with all the problems he's had with his back, uh, the painkillers, I'm sure. Might have been uh, a part of his life at some point, you'd imagine. I, well, ironically, he had his fourth back surgery just a few weeks ago. Blog post uh, said, never felt better. Yeah. I am doing great. Just on Friday, he posted the, that. You know, and you look at that, and you mentioned it when we were speaking with Jeff, Brett. Like, this guy has all the money in the world. Mm-hmm. Why is driving even a contemplation? And I guess it goes to prove that... This isn't an economic decision for a lot of people. It's a bad decision made sometimes under the influence, whether it be drugs or alcohol. I don't know if it's that Superman syndrome or Superwoman thing where you figure, oh, I'm fine, I can do it. You know, I think we've all had those interactions with people in our lives where you've suggested they not drive and they get very belligerent, uh, quite angry for that you would suggest that they can't drive. And in my mind, that's the number one indication when you suggest to someone that they not drive and they take and have that reaction, you really shouldn't be driving. <laughs> Probably. Um, and I recently heard Kevin Hart, the comedian Kevin Hart, who is super successful at the moment. He, I believe he has said, I don't drive anymore. He's never done drugs, but he likes to drink. So he doesn't drive. He just doesn't drive. Brilliant. So good for him. I think so. Uh, You know, 
we hear of athletes that get into these situations and you, you do wonder, it's one of the first things that I know my buddies will say to me or I'll say to them. It's like, what's he doing driving? All the resources in the world that you could just about pick up the phone call, randomly phone someone in the middle of the night and go, hey, it's Tiger Woods. I'm kind of hammered. Uh, would you mind come pick me up? Yeah, man, I'm in Winnipeg, but like I could be there in about 36 hours. Uh, I'll give you a ride wherever you want to go, dude. Really, he could call anybody he wanted, and probably four out of ten people would be there you know, quickly to come pick him up and would be more than happy to yeah. do him a favor and get him home safely. So uh, not a good decision here. Obviously, a lot of the details have yet to be made public as they become available. We'll share them with you. A part of the question we wanted to ask was, should we be talking about this beyond the fact that he's been arrested? Is this a topic for discussion? Is this an opportunity to talk about driving under the influence and how it remains such a huge issue in our society? Does Tiger Woods become the poster boy for this? I mean... Gosh, what a fall from grace for this guy. One of the most popular athletes, the first billion-dollar athlete on the planet. And here's where we sit on this day. Billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. With, it, between his earnings on tour, and of course, those have been dwarfed by his by his endorsement deals with Nike, Buick, just to name two, that he's made a uh, fortune off of. Yeah, 204-780-6868 is the number to call. You can also text us. Again, that number is 204-780-6868. And there, there, I guess there's a, a sort of a tie-in is that we saw the the thing from RCMP last week saying that the road, it was Road Safety Week, right? And they sent out a list of all the, the infractions that they had pulled people over for saying that the message really isn't, it's not getting through. I'm just trying to find that email from the RCMP. Uh, RCMP continues to see high-risk driving behavior during Canada Road Safety Week, uh, which includes 33 people who were charged with criminal code impaired driving, 18 alcohol or drug-related administrative suspensions, and uh, the list goes on, 541 charges for speeding. So at first you see the Tiger Woods mugshot, and I think the initial reaction for most people, at least in our newsroom, was, oh, boy. Oh boy. They, they're never flattering photos. So you see that and you just kind of sort of almost chuckle to yourself. But it does, I think it's an important reminder uh, to discuss drinking and driving because it's, as we see from the Mounties and their numbers, it's just, it's still a problem. Nick Nolte had the worst, bar none, oh. of those celebrity <laughs> mugshots. Yes. He looked as besheveled as one can look. It would have been difficult to argue whatever assertion a police officer was trying to make and slapping the handcuffs on Nolte that uh, whatever that police officer was suspecting Nolte of doing, it'd be pretty tough to say, no, I wasn't doing it. He looked like he'd been doing everything, everything there was to do on the bad (laughs) side of decisions. He was making it that night. Nick Nolte, look that one up if you want to see it. Uh, Yeah, Jason says they even have Uber in uh, Florida. Of course they do. Right? Like, I mean, that should be a no-brainer. We were at an event Saturday night, and everybody that I know made outstanding choices in terms of either arranging for a ride beforehand, uh, 
our colleague Jeff Forche here made outstanding choices on uh, Saturday night, made sure that he was being safe, as did uh, all of our colleagues. And it's just, it's too important a decision to be making this a decision to get behind the wheel after you've been drinking. It's, it's, just, it's just dumb now because there's like no excuse to know or not know that this is an issue and that if you get pulled over, they're not going to take it easy on you. Like those days are long gone because I think we've all been in situations where maybe some people were, were easy on you, whether it was a police officer or a friend or a parent uh, that knew you were up to no good and kind of let it slide. Nah, those days are done. Yeah, I almost got uh, some friends killed actually when I was driving and I shouldn't have been. But Mark has been waiting patiently. We'll talk to Mark. At 204-780-6868. Hey, Mark, what do you have to say? Uh, not too much. I just wanted to comment on the whole Tiger Woods thing. Like, this guy's got all the money in the world, man. He could he could, he could, afford, he could afford for a guy to drive him around all day. Like, there's just, just no, there's just no uh, excuse for this uh, stuff nowadays. I went out last night with my family and with, uh, with a bunch of us yesterday. And uh, there's a few of us guys standing around having a few drinks. Well, we had two drinks over a six hour period and that was it. And we, and, and we were done because we all know that our lives depend on us driving our kids everywhere, our jobs, you know, it just blows my mind that people nowadays still do it. So should we be talking about that to highlight the fact for the rest of us, Mark, that this is really just a dumb decision when you make it? It's a dumb one. Like seriously, especially, especially a guy that's billionaire like he's got all the money in the world there's no there's there's no excuse like there's none there's none but it just blows my mind that these that they i guess they think they're just above the law and then if they get pulled over you know they think they're tiger woods and the cop will say oh it's fine don't worry about tiger you know you know get you know get yourself home okay and those days are done you can't you can't do that nowadays it doesn't matter who you are nowadays Thank you, Mark. Appreciate that very much. Yeah. You know, Mark touched on something, that there is a point in time, uh, an important history. When you look back, uh, O.J. Simpson is a, is a great example. And uh, is it uh, Al Cowlings, his, his former best friend, used to talk about how when they were in San Francisco and they were growing up, even in high school, Cowlings and Simpson could do no wrong, even when they got pulled over by the cops. The cops would say, oh, hey, Juice! How's it going, man? Yeah. Yeah, just, you know, take it easy, slow down a little bit. And I can guarantee you that more athletes and famous people have stories like that than don't. Yeah. Where authorities have caught them doing things they shouldn't have been doing. And I think it all depends on where they are in their station in life. If they're on their way up, they probably get a pass. Tiger Woods, the fact that he's on the way down on the downslide probably did not help in this case. Ted is at 204-780-6868. Hey, Ted, what do you have to say about this? I'm very impressed with you guys having the conversation on the drinking and driving. It's become a very serious problem along with the texting. But I think I find it a little hypocritic when a police officer comes on and tells us all the things that are going wrong with the public. And how many of them have been charged in the last 10 years with drinking and driving? And you never hear too much about it. There was a couple around Oak Bank that it just seemed to fall away. And I think they've got to clean up their own house, too, so they can preach to us that we clean up our act. That's a fair point, Ted, and we appreciate you making it at 204-780-6868. Ted, thank you very much. I enjoy. Oh.
Oh, I sorry, Ted. Ted was trying to say he enjoys the program. And I, I'm so sorry, Ted. I was trying to, I was just uh, clicking things that I shouldn't have, and, and I lost them. Sorry, Ted. He, he did enjoy the program. It probably doesn't anymore. Hi, <laughs> guys. Maybe this is a case where an athlete thinks they're above the law. Nobody is above the law, and when it comes to drinking and driving, uh, keep up the great work. That from Terry at 780-6868. 204-780-6868 is the number to call or text. Like Ted, uh, again, Ted, apologies for hanging up on you there. 204-780-6868. What do you have to say about the Tiger Woods situation and then the broad conversation about drinking and driving? 204-780-6868. You can also email gmac at cjob.com, brett at cjob.com. Scott, sit tight. We're going to get to you after your forecast, which is up next. Brett McGarry with Craig Mackling talking about Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, Chris Rock. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Tiger Woods arrested for on a DUI this morning in Jupiter, Florida. Scott has been waiting patiently at 204-780-6868. Scott, what do you have to say, sir? Um, oh, good afternoon. Um, I was just it's listening to some of the people who've been calling in and, and some comments made. It's, it's interesting that um, obviously any, anybody shouldn't be drinking and driving, but um, the comments about how it's impossible to get away with it are, are far from true. Um, I personally know of people that have had multiple DUIs and have never even seen a courtroom. So it's um, there's a there's a, a long list of different people and judges and you know lawyers etc. Where these people are picked up and they aren't even processed by the time they get down to say remand center or whatever. Um, lawyers are kicking in and these people have gotten off multiple times. It's cost thousands and thousands of dollars, but it just goes up through the whole legal system. And these people have never seen a courtroom. Scott, you make a great point, and I appreciate you uh, bringing it to our attention that uh, sometimes there are two legal systems uh, and justice systems uh, in this country and others. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's out there and it is happening. It's unfortunate, but it's just, it's just the truth. And, uh, you know, until, you know, people like Tiger Woods and that, they're, they are driving around with the thought that they're never going to get in trouble. And occasionally there will be an officer of the peace that will pull them over and will charge them and, and they will have to go through the system like everybody else does. It's just, like you said, it's kind of a two-tier system and, uh, it's out there and really not much can be done about it right now. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate your call. Appreciate you listening as well. I spent some time with an NFL slash CFL Hall of Famer a few years ago who got arrested for drinking and driving. And he told me that in the part of Seattle that he lives, there are a lot of athletes, former and present at the time. And the, the police in his part of Seattle really have it out. For these athletes really yes and so you gotta be on a1 behavior and even though he knew that he uh he got nabbed so you know uh things are things have changed and and scott's pointing out that maybe they haven't changed as much as they need to uh kevin with a great text here with regard to the nfl they have a ride service for players but if the players use the service the team they play on gets in form that the player used the service. Well, that's going to be a deterrent, isn't it? Oh, that's interesting. As a ride service. Okay. That's interesting. I'll have to dig into that a little bit because I knew that the ride service 
existed. I didn't realize that the team gets informed if a player uses it. That kind of takes away all sorts of incentive uh, to do the appropriate and the responsible thing. Appreciate that, Kev. We got a clip here uh, that's come across our newswire. This is from uh, your buddy, Greg, ESPN sports analyst Stephen A. Smith. I'm just curious to see what he has to say. He says the charge is a lesson for everyone. It's a lesson that we all need to make sure that we disseminate to the masses. Don't drink and drive. Very, very simple. But as it pertains to Tiger Woods, it goes a far, it goes far deeper than that. Far deeper than that. That's a curious thing to say. And maybe is it is that because perhaps the name is so recognizable and to, we should Tiger should be holding himself to a higher standard, perhaps, or just goes back to his his troubled his checkered history over the last decade or so. I'm not going to pretend to ever guess what Stephen A. Smith might say. I love what he says most of the time. I certainly love how he says it all the time. But there might be a little bit of both of those things. In uh, in Stephen A. Smith's uh, underlying message, here. Can, can we can we stop for twelve seconds and not take ourselves so seriously here? Yes, please. Uh, Redux message with this consistent. Pardon me. I'll start that again. With his consistently pulled shots off the tee, Tiger Woods should hire someone to drive for him all the time. <laughs> Because he's not good at golf anymore. He's not good at golf anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that just a, a, a the DUI thing aside. I it would like when he set posts on his blog. He felt never never felt better in his life. I wish that he would come back to golf. I think I think golf needs Tiger Woods. That would just be a, a good story. I think. Although after this, now you got to wonder how much public favor does he have left. Yeah, I think he might have burned a lot of it here. Uh, one quick text here from Ken. We don't know the details of Tiger's arrest, 100%. You're right, Ken. Dollar to a donut, maybe the painkillers he takes for back pain will be the culprit. And this is just the 52nd, 15-second soundbite. Uh, Tiger Woods is on the record on Friday as saying he's never felt better since his latest back surgery. So I'm going to not go on the side of the painkillers, but I absolutely hear where you're coming from, Ken. Well, I could. There might be an. Maybe there's an addiction problem there. I don't know. We'll we'll see what sort of shakes out of this story as more details come in, or maybe more details get buried on this story. Coming up to one thirty on six eighty CJOB, and after global news at one thirty, we're going to hear from the boss of talk, Charles Adler. I'm Greg. He's Brett. One thirty-four in the afternoon. It's a Monday. Hope you had a decent weekend, in spite of the weather yesterday and uh, now today. Feels more like uh, March than it does the end of May. But uh, we digress. I want to thank you for all your text messages and your telephone calls, uh, emails. Uh, Brett at cjob.com, gmac at cjob.com to talk about the Tiger Woods situation. We're going to move on from that topic in just a moment here. But I do want to read this text message in terms of a suggestion for punishment of those convicted of drinking or, pardon me, driving under the influence. I know what they can do as a punishment. Make them sit at a funeral where someone was killed by a drunk driver. Make them watch a mother say goodbye to her child or a child say goodbye to their daddy. Just because someone was driving drunk, cause it seems, because it seems a cash grab ticket won't open their eyes. Thank you for that. 204-780-6868. We will uh, accept your feedback on this topic throughout the afternoon. Our good friend, Charles Adler, a mentor to me, and I suspect to you as well, Brett McGarry, over the years. 
Yeah, I worked with Charles for a number of years as his technical producer slash board operator. Got to learn from the best, one of the fringe benefits of of being across the glass for three hours a day. You get to watch as the master goes to work. Charles is actually on the phone line right now. We're going to, we're going to play a 7 minute 37 second excerpt from his acceptance speech at the radio television digital news association awards on saturday night a lifetime achievement award that charles dedicated to his father mike and let's bring chuck on the uh, on the line here before we play uh, what i can only describe is one of the most heart felt acceptance speeches i've ever heard chuck uh brett will tell you i had to head to his desk for some tissue <laughs> to dry my eyes this morning because that was some powerful stuff my friend and congratulations on this well-deserved honor thanks very much greg thanks very much brett your dad meant uh, a lot to you and as we're going to hear in your acceptance speech ironic that all you ever wanted to do in your life was to do something that would make him proud of you. And that decision uh, created a rift between the two of you before you became what you've become. Yeah, I had a feeling it was a, a huge uh, gamble, um, but uh, I took it and I had no idea how harsh the, uh, the pushback would be. What was the pushback, Charles? Almost no relationship for a number of years. How old were you when this happened? Because you got into broadcasting fairly fairly early, right? Yeah, 18 is when I ran away to the circus, and uh, I uh, actually stole my father's car when I was uh, looking for work, uh, and that's a whole uh, you know long story that we probably don't have uh, time for, but I was very passionate about getting into the, the business, and there was a particular day when I thought I had a particular offer, and I asked him, uh, so you know, to borrow the car because I had to do that to uh, seal the deal. And uh, he said no, and I I took the car. I mean, he wasn't wondering, you know, where the car had gone. He knew that I had taken it, but as far as he was concerned, it was uh, it was stolen, and that was the beginning of a very very uh, long and and arduous and, and tense struggle. But uh, like uh, mo- most great stories, that there is. A happy ending. I, I wish it, ha- it hadn't taken as long as it did to get uh, the happy ending, but but there was one. Charles, I don't to I don't like to read back the words of our guests, but I will play back yours. Will you stick around and listen to that with us? You bet. All right. We're just I think gonna... I owe it to this assembled group to talk about why the broadcast industry has given my life meaning. And I told you about my radio father, but I owe it to you to tell you about my biological father. His name was Mike Adler, and he was, along with my mother, marked for death in the 1940s. Both of them were forced to sew yellow stars of David into their clothing. Both of them were on lists, as were many of the members of their families and extended families. And almost all of those members were killed. So I don't know why somebody upstairs decided that my parents should live, but certainly when I look at the odds, the odds that I could even exist would have been slim to nil. 
And who do I thank for the odds going in our direction, my family's direction? I thank Canada. My entire career has been a thank you card to this country and to the people who have the honor and privilege of speaking to this country. If not for Canada and her allies, there is no way that I would even exist. So let me fast forward to the days when I was growing up. And yes, we did have a little home, but our real home was the mom and pop shop called Adler's Tailor Shop. And that's where I spent most of my days, most of my time. It was a mom and pop business. So I did whatever I could to help out our little family. And while some people thought that wasn't much fun for a kid, I thought I was the luckiest kid in the world because I had access to the person who taught me to be a human being, Mike Adler. I had access to him all day, every day, except for 90 minutes of the day. Those 90 minutes belonged to the woman that next to my mother he respected the most, and her name was Barbara Frump. So there it was. For 90 minutes of the day, I was instructed to stay as silent as possible because Barbara was on the radio. Naturally, while I always felt that my father liked me and loved me, I wanted him, I wanted him to adore me the way he did Barbara Frum, who he would say from time to time, you need to marry someone like Barbara Frum. You need to treat every colleague, every customer, every woman in your life the way I respect, meaning him, meaning how I respect Barbara Frum. So in any case, Barbara Frum became almost an obsession to do what Barbara Frum does to get my father's attention. That was a secret I had, I kept from my father, because my father didn't want me to be a broadcaster, he wanted me to be a doctor, or a lawyer, or a university professor. And so when I ran away to the circus called broadcasting at the age of 18, it disappointed my father a great deal. And when it happened, something not nice happened to our relationship. And it basically went into the freezer for many, many years until I was fortunate enough to be doing talk radio out of Calgary and fortunate enough to have a Kent in Boston with CTV's Canada AM contact me to do a segment on their show. I gave my mother the heads up, my wonderful mother, and it was an opportunity to have some peace in the family. I felt, I hoped, I prayed. And my mother had my father watch me on what my father would call Lloyd's station, because to him, Lloyd Robertson was Mr. Canada. He even had a Lloyd's radio, even though, you know, anyway. Um, there you have it. So he saw me on uh, Lloyd's station that morning, and he phoned me. And while I've been very lucky, more luckier than I deserve to be in many ways, and I got some great phone calls over the years with great pitches and offers. There's no phone call I ever got that was more important than the one I, call, I got from him that day. And of course, that was in the very early 1990s. Then years later, I got the opportunities, as you saw in the video, to do various wonderful shows for Global Year Canada, Global Sunday and others. My father was able to see those network shows and then Chorus Entertainment, now under the same umbrella with Global. 
gave me this opportunity in 2004 to do a national radio show in which Montreal was one of the affiliates and therefore my father was able to listen to me every afternoon between 2004 and for just a couple of years beyond that. He was in his declining years. And I don't mean this to be a punchline at all, but it was only when he was clinically losing his mind that he absolutely felt about me the way he once did about Barbara. So there you have it. One of the very last things that my father said, because Alzheimer did to him what those other tyrants could not do. And so it, it was one of the last things I was told by one of the caretakers that he said coherently and lucidly and enthusiastically when the caretaker came in to help him out and he was listening to my show and he pointed to the radio and he had those beautiful brown eyes and they actually twinkled in the end and he said to the caretaker that's that's my son he was pointing to Lloyd's radio that he still had and that was my son he said to the caretaker and um, and I guess I just want to say that that's the major reason that everything that's happening here tonight and everything that's happened for more than 40 years has given my life meaning. Uh, it earned my dad's respect, which meant everything to me. So this award I'd like to dedicate, if it's all right with everyone here, uh, to the late Mike Adler. Thank you very much for giving me life and for rescuing my life, putting me in that backpack more than 50 years ago and getting me out of Hungary. And I want to thank everyone in the industry, representing everyone in this country, for giving my life meaning and giving Mike Adler's son something that Mike Adler's son dearly treasured and coveted. Appreciate the honor tonight much more than you can know. Thank you very, very much. Charles Adler, Saturday night in Toronto, re receiving his Lifetime Achievement Award. Courtesy of the RTDNA, the Radio Television Digital News Association of Canada. And Charles, <laughs> tears are in my eyes again. That desire for your dad to, to respect you and to be proud of what you did, that's a powerful motivator for a lot of us. I think that uh, everybody out there has a story as to what, you know, makes their their candle glow. And I think that while many people have poo-pooed the idea that um, asking for, even begging for the acceptance from someone else is, is not healthy for self-esteem, uh, I'm not smart enough, my pay grade isn't high enough to really know whether or not that's true. I just know what is true. I just know the, the story of my life and, and my acceptance of who I am and what I'm about did depend to a very, very large extent on getting the approval of the man who saved my life. Charles, can you maybe uh, talk about what you learned about work ethic from your dad? Because when I worked with you, I would, you'd be up at like, I don't know, three o'clock in the morning. I always sort of imagine you, you were like this information vacuum where you just got up and, and sucked up all the information that was out there in the world. And you came into work and could talk about pretty much anything that was going on 
uh, anywhere on this planet because you got up and you had four radios on, I think, and you had the TV on and you had three newspapers in front of you and, of course, your computer. I don't know how you did it. Well, that, that came from my, my dad as well. My, my dad was so concerned that because I wasn't born in this country that I wouldn't get the breaks that kids get who were born here or who have been privileged to be born in, in families with trust funds and all of that. He was so concerned about all of that uh, that uh, ever since I was just a child, he made me do far more homework. Whenever there was an exam, he was aware of when the, when the tests were. He got the information from the school, and uh, he would get me up at 4 o'clock in the morning, sometimes 3 o'clock in the morning on the day of a test uh, to make sure that uh, I did as 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 well as as humanly possible and uh, and I guess that just stayed with me it was it was the same at work and despite the fact that he didn't approve of what I was doing for so many years the ethic was the ethic Brett as you know and uh, you know my dad's past now I remember somebody telling me a couple of years ago saying that well now that now that your father is gone maybe you won't have to work as much or maybe you won't have to wake up as early but you know, it just gets into the bone, and I, I, I do the same now. And sometimes, of course, the damn cock, time zones are so cockamamie that, that I'm still, you know, on Eastern time like I was in Montreal. I was on Eastern time when I was in the Central time zone, and my body's still working in Eastern time here in the Pacific. And I know some people think that's wacky, and I'll confess, I'm, I'm a bit of a whack job. Charles Adler, our resident whack job, joining us from Vancouver. And you have had a crazy couple of weeks of travel, in particular the last few days, Charles. So we we really appreciate you taking a moment. I just want to ask you a philosophical thing about what I hear about this discussion and this work ethic that your father planted in you. And I think your dad wanted to even the playing field a little bit for you in terms of someone that wasn't born in this country and and give you an opportunity to compete with those that might have had a head start on you how do we help how do we help inspire those that didn't have a mike adler in their life to be all that they can be even though they've been born disadvantaged they don't have a mentor they don't have that male role model in their life to demand the best and to demand and to create and help create that level playing field for them? Well, I'll tell you this, uh, to anyone who's listening, and it doesn't matter to me what profession, what, what business, uh, what trade uh, you're in, uh, you know, whether you're a, a carpenter, a, a truck driver, an engineer, an accountant, um, if you've got a, a role model who's missing in your life, whether it's a mom or a dad, uh, you work as hard as possible, and what you will do is you will get surrogate moms and surrogate dads you know, I mentioned at the beginning of the speech on Saturday that, you know, I stood on the shoulders of giants, um, and it wasn't possible for me to do what I did without uh, learning from those giants in this business. And uh, they were my surrogate fathers. Uh, they were father figures to me. And, and one of the reasons they were important to me is because my father at that point in my life was absent. So I'm simply saying to anyone who's listening right now, whether it's a mother figure or a father figure that you need, if you don't have one biologically. Uh, you will get one logically, simply by doing the kind of work that attracts good people, father figures and mother figures to you. But if, if, if anyone tries to make the case to you that you don't need an important father or mother figure in your life or brother or sister, that you don't need any kind of adult supervision, I don't care how old you are, if they're trying to make that case, you don't, don't, don't believe in it, because there is nothing like having the approval 
of someone you respect. Charles Adler, we're going to have to leave it there, sir. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your time as always. And congratulations once again, old friend. Thank you very much, and uh, I'll say it again. I know it sounds like a broken record. There's nothing that turns me on more than being able to speak to Manitobans. They, they have been my family for so many years, and that doesn't change no matter where my arse is. Okay, Charles Adler, thank you so much. Once again, 2017 Network Lifetime Achievement Award winner from the RTDNA, that is Radio Television Digital News Association Canada. Don't forget Charles Adler tonight, 9 until midnight weeknights on 680 CJOB. Your forecast is coming up next. Brad, I know we went... uh very long in that segment, so we had just have a couple of moments here. You know, Charles talks about standing on the shoulders of giants, and uh, if I look back, uh, I think Charles Adler was my surrogate radio father in how he's treated me along the way, always so kind with his words, his time, and his influence along with uh, some fantastic advice along the way. So uh, it's always important when we can connect with Charles. His story, his behind the story story, and no one can tell a story like Charles Adler as witnessed in the audio that we played for you earlier this half hour. Uh, Just always great to get some time with him and a a very worthwhile conversation about mentorship. Yeah, and Charles, uh, like I said, I worked with him for three, maybe four years as his technical producer, and uh, it was always great to to see him come in, and sometimes... the, the stories I've heard of Charles, uh, I, when he worked at another radio station prior to CJOB, and he would, like, do the morning news. So he'd walk in, like, he's supposed to be on the air, I don't know, let's say it's 6 a.m. to read the newscast. And it's 5.59, and he's not even in the building yet. And he just comes sort of, like, barreling in at 5.59.30. He's got a newspaper in his hand. And he goes in the booth, and he sits down, and he's... He's reading the the newspaper, but he's translating it into radio speak. So he's taking a full page story and turning it into a thirty second blurb on the on the air. No one else can do that, but Charles does it with like he's without breaking a sweat. He's just he's so good at what he does, and it was a real pleasure to get to work under him. Scary at first when I got the call. You want to work with Charles? He was the only person in the building I hadn't worked with yet, and uh, I thought, oh my god. Like Charles, so yeah, and I don't think he was all that happy about it at first, but eventually we worked it out and got along just fine. Fantastic, Charles will be on these airwaves tonight, nine o'clock until midnight uh, from Vancouver. What are we doing at two o'clock? Sologamy? Hmm. Solo missions are you know commonplace when you're going out for lunch or maybe breakfast, but to make a declaration that that's the way you want to live your life and to have a celebration and invite others. To celebrate with you, nothing I'd ever heard of until this morning. We'll talk about that when we return. He's Brett. I'm Greg Mackling McGarry with you. Global News is next. If you missed the first hour of our show or any of the minutes of any show, you can go to cjob.com and you can look up our podcast. It's also available on Apple Play and iTunes and all sorts of places. Google Play? Did I say Apple Play? I'm mixing metaphors again. I'm so good at that. Google Play. Google Play, iTunes, wherever you can get podcasts, really. 
Just we type are there. in Mackling and McGarry. We appreciate all of you that uh, do listen after hours. Uh, you may want to go back and listen to our previous half hour with Charles Adler. We played his acceptance speech at the RT DNA Awards in Toronto, where he accepted a Lifetime Achievement Award. He dedicated it to his father, the memory of his father, Mike Adler, and... We played seven and a half minutes of his 10-minute speech. It was that powerful, Brett. I, You know, you can play sound bites for a lot of things, 30 seconds, 90 seconds. You kind of have a one-minute rule around here in terms of clips, but seven and a half minutes, 737 to be exact. I just didn't see a point where I could conscionably cut the tape, as we say in this business. Uh, so much uh, wisdom from Charles Adler. Many of you enjoying that, including a text message here from Aaron. OMG, the tears. Thank you for playing his speech and a uh, big wide open mouth emoji. Jason says, uh, such an amazing person, Charles Adler. Lucky to say that I got to sit in the studio at CGOB with him. Highlight of my life. And Eve says, uh, congrats, Charles. Very deserving of that award, 204-780-6868 for your text message interaction on our first half hour conversation about Tiger Woods or the second half hour and Charles Adler's acceptance speech, uh, him tr- paying tribute to his father. And what? Why do you do what you do? I know we've had this conversation before, but was it really the inspiration of Hal Anderson and listening to him in the morning that made you decide what you do and what role... Does making your parents proud play in your work decisions, Brett McGarry? Um, it was Hal Anderson who, where I eventually thought, you know what, I, I like listening to Hal laugh. And if, and Hal, you know, sometimes it would just be, I might have two minutes to turn on the radio or it might be 45 minutes while I'm driving to work. But if, you know, Hal would make me laugh every day as I had the radio on, especially as I was driving into school or because it was, first it was going to university and then I took a break from that and then it was going to Red River. So I listened to Hal a fair amount and he always kind of helped me get through them. I hate mornings. So it was nice to you have. You still hate mornings. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I didn't. That's why I said I hate yep. uh, because it's not past tense. Nope. I hate mornings. And Hal was the guy who would help get me through that, particularly when it was BJ and Hal. And um, I just thought, why can't I do that? Why do I have to go be? Because I was always a, an acad, like a taught near the top of the class in school, kind of a nerd, still a nerd. Not denying that I that I've graduated from that in any sense, but I was always near the top of my class and whatever class it was. So I figured I'd get some sort of pointy-headed kind of job. I went into the faculty of management and then I, or no, I was going to do management and then I realized I like psychology. So I thought maybe I'll do something academic with psychology. And then I realized, I don't know, this uh, radio sounds a lot more fun. (laughs) So I just switched gears and I said, I want to have as much fun at work as Hal Anderson does. Uh, So that was what inspired me to do that. As far as Seeking was the question. The question seeking, seeking the, approval. Yeah, seeking approval and and wanting your parents to to respect. Charles was very explicit in terms of why he did what he did, and I just found it beyond ironic. And ironic might not even be the absolutely perfect word that the decision that Charles made in an effort to have his father respect him as much as he respected and paid attention to, hung on every word of Barbara from, 
That was the approval, the level of approval he was seeking from his father. And by going down the road of Barbara Frum, he actually pushed his father away. Yeah. And I just, uh, I just uh, having a hard time wrapping my head around that, that idea that the very decision that you made to seek the approval of someone so important to you actually created this massive divide. Yeah, I... I will, this is going to sound really callous, but I don't go into my work thinking, well, how can I, hopefully my parents are listening and hopefully I'm making them proud. It's, I don't think that's not a motivator, but it's always nice when they happen to say, hey, I heard this on the radio or my friends really like listening to you or whatever. It's, it's, of course, it's always nice when you get that that approval, that that kudos from your parents because then you know that you're making them proud or at least you hope they're making you. You're making them proud. That's just not the motivating factor for you. Well, again, that makes me sound like I don't. <laughs> I hope it does well, make you sound like some sort of a jerk. You no, know, if that's um, the way. It my is. main motivator is to just come in, and if I can make somebody smile for thirty seconds, like Hal used to make me smile, whether it's a friend, my parents, anybody, that's that's my goal when I come to work. I just want to make if I can make somebody laugh at least once a day, my job is done. We shall move on. Had you been familiar with this word, sologamy, before I presented this article with you about an hour and a half ago? No, you put this thing down on my desk, and I looked at it and almost wanted to throw up. Critics have called sologamy narcissistic and conceited. It's completely selfish, admits Joelle Bordeaux, who is organizing the final details for her dream wedding later this summer. I'm completely fulfilled. All the other boxes in my life have been checked, but now I want to be a bride. It's only one small detail missing. There's no other bride or or groom, right? Yeah. We've heard uh, about the changing face of marriage in Canada in particular for over a decade, same-sex marriage, and of course traditional marriage been a part of everyday life for hundreds of years and in uh, in modern society, yeah, now this is something different. Sologamy is the act of marrying oneself. And the growing relationship trend has seen more and more women in the UK, Australia, Japan, Taiwan, and the US walk down the aisle by themselves to give themselves away to themselves. There's a headline here from another one, another article. I just Googled sologamy, and this is from a website called The Daily Wire, dailywire.com. Mm-hmm. Sologamy, the saddest trend you've ever heard of. <laughs> you know you're going to be seeing all sorts of articles and news items and video about this now that we've discussed it. A 2003 episode, boy, it goes back this far, of Sex in the City was one of the first introductions to the idea when the show's main character mused about marrying herself. So we have Carrie Bradshaw to thank for this, I think, Brett. Carrie Bradshaw made the declaration after complaining that her married friends never celebrated the decision to be single. The trend has become popular enough in recent years that Policy Horizons Canada, a government agency that projects public policy implications on cross-cutting, it, or cross-cutting issues, has taken notice as more people choose to live single. Ceremonies and rituals to reinforce the legitimacy of this choice may continue to emerge. 
It was fringe 10 years ago, but a few years from now it will be mainstream, predicts Alexandra Gill of Marry Yourself Vancouver. This is a company that helps single women make their dream weddings come true. There's an actual company that exists to propel this. Gill founded the company along with her business partner, Tallulah, after they were among seven brides who made headlines in 2006 for marrying themselves. And they realized that marriage often represents an individual's maturation into adulthood and identified that women who don't get married were stripped of this marker in life. So by marrying themselves, women can celebrate their independence and personal growth while making a sacred commitment to whatever responsibilities and promises nourish their uniquely singular lives. This is a statement on the company's website, which once again is called Marry Yourself, Vancouver. So question, if you decide you get sick of yourself and you find yourself spending too much money, (laughs) not paying enough attention to yourself... Can you and do you need to then divorce yourself? Divorce from yourself? Yeah. And here's the other question that's being asked, and there's a little bit of a clip attached to this. Would you attend a sologamy wedding? That's a bit uh, narcissistic, no? (laughs) I think that's a little weird. Uh, That's what I thought I was going to do for a long time, but then I got stolen away, so I'm off the market. Uh, I don't think so, no. Sounds hilarious. I'd support anybody and what they want to do in their lives. They might be conceited, so maybe maybe, maybe I wouldn't want to. Yeah, it'd be fun to uh, celebrate a life decision with someone. Well, maybe if it's a family friend or maybe like a close friend of mine, yeah, I guess I would support it. If it's bring a gift, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, we'd be the gift, that's right. <laughs> if it's a good friend and they're doing it more as a joke, why not? As long as there's an open bar. Celebrating that you are not getting married, it's very unusual for us. Maybe we are old-fashioned. but Anybody that would decide to do that, yeah, I'd go to the wedding. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that, that must be a plan around something really extraordinary. It's honestly a good idea for a lot of people not to get married. Because honestly, you can do a lot more harm than good. We have two children, 26 and 24. And we spend a lot of time just trying to keep up with the changes. And, you know, we're just, I, I appreciate, appreciate whatever decision people are making in their lives. Whatever makes them happy, I mean, we'll be there to celebrate whatever it is for whoever it is, as long as they're happy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> that last answer is political correctness at its finest, isn't it? We'll be there to celebrate no matter, no matter what decision you make. Maybe. 204-780-6868 is the number to call, the number to text. What is your reaction to all of this? Sologamy, is it in fact the saddest trend you've ever heard of? Or is it, I mean, because they, they, they do say, I mean, look, this is, this is, it's gently sort of poking fun at marriage. Self-marriage gently pokes fun at a dying institution and the overwrought pretensions of modern bridal culture while allowing women to indulge their childhood fantasies and be princess for a day. Again, that's from Andrea Gill, who co-founded, Alexandra Gill, pardon me, of Marry Yourself Vancouver. But when you bring gifts into it, Brett, some may want gifts, other may not want to ask for them. Saying and adding she received humorous gifts like self-help books and mixed CDs at her ceremony. For those completely against sologamy ceremonies, Gil has a simple solution. They don't have to go. 
204-780-6868. What do you think of sologamy? Would you support it if a friend of yours says, hey, I'm getting married? You say, great. Who? To myself. You want to come? 204-780-6868 is the number to call, number to text. You can email brett at cjob.com, gmac at cjob.com. Going to have a look at your forecast up next. This song is from 1982. The artist is Charlene. I'd never been to me. One of our listeners thinking that this would be the perfect theme song for anyone considering marrying themselves. Great suggestion. There's also a song, I'm just thinking of this now, it's by Natasha Bedingfield, I believe, and it's called I'm Single. And it's kind of an angry song where she's sort of declaring that she is single and she doesn't want your pity or doesn't want your sympathy because I think a lot of people who are single and and have been single for a while end up being viewed as, you know, their friends need feel like this need to come to their rescue. Oh, we got to find you somebody. Well, why? Oh, I just want my friends to be happy. Do I seem unhappy to you? Because of that, there may be some grumpiness aside. Right. But it's not because of that. Trust so, me, marriage is not the, the solution to all your unhappiness problems. <laughs> just suggesting. But uh, we're getting some text messages here. Where was it now? Hey, guys, I think you're looking at this the wrong way. Oh. We're talking about sologamy, by the way. It's a trend that where people who decide, you know what? I'm going to marry myself. So... I think the text reads, I think you're looking at this the wrong way. Okay. There are a lot of lonely people out there, and if this makes them feel not so lonely and part of the general society, then I see nothing wrong with it. That's Lauren. But then on the flip side, we get another text that says, oh, where did it go now? It was something. Attending someone's sologamy? No, it was, uh, ah, I can't find it. Okay, I'll read this one while you search. Attending someone's sologamy? No. No, emphatically no. People talk for nothing. How many times have you heard someone say, I'm never getting married or I'm never going to have kids. Then boom, one year later, they're married and pregnant. So never say never and definitely do not celebrate your neverness because life changes. That's from Angelica. And here it is. I would disavow my friendship with a person who wants to marry themselves. I could not be friends with someone so self-absorbed and pretentious. No wonder they can't find a mate. Marrying oneself is the result of no one wanting them. And them just well, that's harsh. Giving up. <laughs> that's really harsh. <laughs> I think I think in one hand, if someone were were brave enough to have a sologamy kind of wedding, it, I think it's probably somebody with a good sense of humor. Partly, you're probably right. And if they're like, what what are the People in that clip you played said, hey, if there's an open bar, great. Bob said the same thing, Bob and Oakbank. <laughs> there's an open bar, I'm there. If a person marries himself or herself and then meets someone else, do they have to divorce themselves in order to marry that person? Yes, that was that was a great observation. If you marry yourself, maybe the tax benefits will, will help you, question mark. And if you get divorced, 
Who gets what? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that this probably is not a legal yeah. entanglement. It's just a ceremony that you have a party. It's basically a party. It's an excuse to throw a party. And if somebody wants to go to the work of actually setting up a wedding and reception for themselves, okay, well, if whatever makes you happy, as long as I don't uh, have to pay too much for it, I guess. I think you were asking the question off air. This seems to be a phenomenon for women. And what about for men? And? Well, that's I, I can't seem to find anything. I've been I just typed in sologamy men. It looks like it is predominantly, and I don't want to say one hundred percent, but it looks like it is predominantly women who are act who are participating in this activity. But that's not to say that if you're a guy and you want to have a uh, I'm getting married to myself party, doesn't mean that you can't. And by the way, I did say Menon on purpose, so you don't need to email GMAC at CGOB incessantly. Do you realize you said Menon at about 224? Yes, I said Menon on purpose. Women and Menon. By Menon. 227 on 680 CJOB. Global News at 230 is up next. 234. Monday afternoon. I'm Greg. He's Brett. Thank you for all your text messages on sologamy. Just made aware of another acronym that I'd never heard of. Uh-oh. Something called, <laughs> I was warned, you know, warning, might not be politically correct for you to talk about, something called MIGTO. Oh, no. Men going their own way. Okay. It's in the Urban Dictionary. <laughs> okay. So we'll have to talk about that maybe tomorrow. See if we can do some investigation on M-G-T-O-W, pronounced MIGTO, men going their own way. Apparently this is a little bit of a movement. As well. So it's not just the ladies who are deciding to go solo and declare it. The men are going their own way as well and declaring that. All right. All right. All right. We're moving on. We got a media advisory today with regard to Treaty Land Entitlement Committee of Manitoba holding a news conference. The Treaty Land Entitlement Committee of Manitoba, a signatory of the Manitoba Framework Agreement on Treaty Land Entitlement that was also signed by the Canada and uh, Canadian, pardon me, in Manitoba governments on May 29, 1997, in the effort to implement and settle the outstanding constitutionalized promise of treaty land entitlement within Manitoba. And we're joined now by Chris Henderson. Chris, this kind of came together while we've been on the air here. So, Chris, maybe you could, uh, I've been uh, familiar with your work for years, but uh, your title in terms of this story, Chris. Yeah, good afternoon. My name's uh, Chris Henderson, and I'm the Executive Director of the Treaty Land Entitlement Committee of Manitoba. Well, we appreciate you taking the time here. And uh, maybe you could provide some context for us. Uh, I read a little bit from the, the news release from this morning, but maybe you could tell us a little bit more about what the Treaty Land Entitlement Committee is. Sure. Well, we're a committee that's uh, comprised of a total of 21 uh, Treaty First Nations uh, from various parts of uh, Manitoba. And out of these 21 First Nations, uh, we have... 15 of these First Nations that have actually signed their individual treaty land entitlement agreements uh, under the 1997 uh, Manitoba Framework Agreement uh, signed 20 years ago today. And uh, our office uh, assists uh, these First Nations uh, in the land selection or land acquisition process. And uh, this work also involves working very closely with uh, both levels of government 
to ensure these lands are then uh, designated uh, as reserve lands uh, under the respective treaties of these First Nations. So, Chris, you say that 15 of the 21 have signed. So what's happening with the remaining six? Yeah, uh, I guess leading up to the uh, signing of the framework agreement 20 years ago, uh, the six uh, remaining First Nations had uh, other uh, outstanding, uh, I guess, historical grievances against uh, both levels of government, uh, including the Crown Corporation of Manitoba Hydro. And they felt that uh, if they were to accept and sign uh, their TLE agreements under the framework agreement, uh, they might put those other grievances or claims uh, in jeopardy. So that was one of the reasons why uh, these six First Nations uh, have not signed on to date. Now, Chris, it says here in the release as well, there are 500,000 acres of outstanding TLE lands. Is that just in Manitoba? Yeah, that's correct. And that only applies, again, to uh, the 15 First Nations that have signed uh, their individual agreements under the framework agreement. Uh, We also have to bear in mind in Manitoba, we also have uh, the independent Tealy Agreement uh, holders, uh, which primarily come from uh, the Treaty No. 1 First Nations. And we also have uh, another... uh, 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 another independent uh, TLE agreement in the Island Lake uh, area of Manitoba. So the 500,000 acres uh, applies only uh, to those that have signed on to the framework agreement. And what, what, when we say the 500,000 acres remaining, uh, that means simply that, that uh, this land amount uh, has yet to be uh, converted to, uh, quote-unquote, uh, reserve status uh, under the uh, treaties. You mentioned Treaty 1. We often hear our uh, our mayor, Brian Bowman, say, good afternoon, we're on Treaty 1 land. So is that exactly what you're talking about there? Well, uh, no, uh, not specifically in terms of uh, symbolic uh, acknowledgement. Uh, certainly that's welcome and, uh, and, uh, and, and greatly received. But uh, we have First Nations that are signatory to Treaty 1, such as Roseau River First Nation, Long Plain First Nation and Swan Lake First Nation. Uh, these First Nations have uh, their own independent TLE agreements that were signed back in the mid-90s, uh, shortly before 1997, uh, outside of the signing of the uh, TLE framework agreement. So, Chris, how do this, uh, does this or do this many acres call, come into question? That's a lot of land. It's a lot of property. And can we tie this in any way, shape, or form to what's happening on uh, Capiong Barracks on, on Keniston and Grant? Yeah, well, uh, it's definitely a lot of land. And I know going back in time 20 years ago, uh, it's my understanding that uh, when the negotiators drafted and signed the framework agreement, uh, it was expected and anticipated that uh, the full implementation of that framework agreement would be completed uh, within a 15-year time frame. Now, certainly that hasn't come to pass. Uh, 20 years in, I would say we're uh, a little uh, under halfways done. Uh, there is more than a half a million acres uh, remaining outstanding. So we hope that it doesn't take another 20 years to complete the remaining acres. And uh, with regard to the uh, conversations or negotiations going on with regard to Cap Young Barracks, uh, uh, that my understanding is that uh, that is uh, going to be uh, uh, reset uh, 
in terms of negotiations between uh, the Treaty 1 uh, chiefs and the federal government. Uh, I do note that last week uh, the Treaty 1 chiefs held a uh, symbolic uh, signing ceremony uh, for a declaration wherein they recommitted uh, to work uh, in a united front uh, in their negotiations with the federal government uh, for the properties at Kapyong Barracks. And that's a good thing. So hopefully uh, that will speed up their negotiations and lead to some uh, final negotiated settlement uh, for the land in question. Chris, maybe you could give us some insight as to how uh, some of this land, maybe, you know, is, is, there, is there trading taking place in terms of right of first refusal on uh, federally decommissioned lands? Because really that's where Capion comes into play, right? It was a former military installation. And because of certain agreements that have been made along the way, First Nations people and First Nations uh, as part of negotiation get right of first refusal uh, of, on property like that. Fair to say? Is that have I got that correct? Yeah, that would be a fair uh, fair assessment. That uh, when it comes to federal surplus uh, properties, uh, First Nations uh, within that particular region that do possess uh, a TLE agreement, uh, they would get notification uh, of that federal surplus property uh, that's uh, being sold. So yes, uh, that would be a correct understanding. Chris Henderson is our guest. He is the executive director of the Treaty Land Entitlement Committee in Manitoba. And they held a news conference today to mark the 20th anniversary uh, signatory to the Manitoba Framework Agreement on Treaty Land Entitlement uh, was signed on May 29, 1997 to implement and settle the outstanding constitutionalized promise of treaty land entitlement within Manitoba. Chris, why is it important to mark this 20th anniversary? Well, I think it's uh, uh, it's very critical given the fact that uh, uh, we are in the midst of a, of a national celebration wherein uh, the nation is going to be celebrating the 150th anniversary of, uh, of Confederation of uh, 1867. Uh, after that, of course, uh, the nation builders of Canada uh, made their way west uh, to expand uh, the nation of Canada. And uh, during that process, uh, they entered into and concluded uh, treaties uh, with the various Indian tribes uh, that inhabited uh, the various uh, uh, territories in the West. So without those uh, negotiated uh, treaty agreements, uh, uh, it's my view that uh, the nation-building process would not have been possible because, again, it was all based on a promise, and the promise was uh, reflected in the treaties that were signed. And within the treaties, of course, one of the promises was that the Crown would uh, lay aside and reserve tracts of land uh, for the Indian tribes of the day. And uh, that's what we refer to as treaty land entitlement, uh, the promise of uh, reserve land for uh, First Nations. So it's very critical that uh, that we remind uh, the federal government of their treaty promises and remind them specifically of their uh, work that has yet to be done uh, under negotiated uh, land claim settlement agreements like the Manitoba TLE Framework Agreement. Chris, from the outside, for non-Indigenous people, do we confuse sometimes the idea of these treaties and the Indian Act and and what is in it, you know created in terms of uh, negotiation and things that are imposed upon uh, First Nations people in Canada? Yeah, uh, yeah, I, 
I would say yes, that uh, that probably tends to happen, that uh, I would say on average that uh, the general public probably does not understand uh, what the 1876 excuse me, Indian Act is. I mean, it's a piece of legislation that for the most part was uh, designed to uh, control, control and rule over uh, First Nations. And uh, one of the ways uh, that control is, uh, is is carried out is through the identification of who, in fact, is an uh, quote-unquote Indian in terms of that meaning uh, under uh, the British North America Act of 1867. So that legislation was created for that sole purpose. And I know that uh, over the last uh, gener- generation or so that there's been talk about uh, trying to do away uh, with that legislation and replace it with uh, a Treaty Implementation Act. Uh, we'll see uh, if that ever comes to pass, but uh, I know it's been talked about many a time. And with this new federal uh, liberal government in place, I know they, uh, they've also talked about wanting to implement uh, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And so we'll see if that, uh, if that comes to pass uh, with the remaining years they have left uh, under this uh, current mandate. Chris, I appreciate you taking some time for us today. I just got a text message. Uh, some listeners know that I'm an Isaac Brock alum. Uh, I understand you are as well. That is correct. Well, that was a very long time ago. It, it really is. So uh, we have some brotherhood and some uh, lineage in common there, my friend. So Fantastic. Thanks, thanks for taking some time with us today. Thank you, gentlemen. All right. Chris Henderson is the executive director of the Treaty Land Entitlement Committee of Manitoba. Once again, today is the 20th anniversary of the Manitoba TLE Framework Agreements signing. We'll have a look at your forecast up next. Currently nine degrees outside. Oh, we're up a degree again. It's 10 outside 680. CJOB, make up your mind, Mother Nature. That was not an anti-female statement. Mother Nature, I just want her to make up her mind. What season are we in, after all? Spring. No. Doesn't feel like it. Or does it? I don't know. Well, it just it's a cold, cold, cold spring, spring day. day. Yeah, okay. Feels like winter sometimes, still. For someone who said at the beginning of the show, yes, you were going to dwell on I the know, weather today. I, know. I can't help it. On the weather. Can't help it, man. It sucks. <laughs> but you're hoping it, it gets worse, because you don't want to... I mean... You don't, you don't want your kids to have to play in miserable weather, yes? That's, that's exactly why. I'm actually hoping it gets worse, yes. So they don't have to. So your kids won't suffer. So they don't have to play baseball in toque and mitts tonight. Can you imagine that? The bat flying out of your hand because you got to wear mitts on your hand. Have you ever golfed with, uh, like, winter gloves on your hand? Uh, I do actually own a set of their, their – they call them winter golf gloves. They're – they're just That's all there for is. People they're, in Florida. Yeah, they're exactly. They're golf gloves that are slightly thicker, but they're not. They're really not all that much warmer. They, then they, they're well, they're they're kind of grippy, I guess. But they're they're more for a day like today. If you're going outside to play in a day like today, your hands get cold, so those help. But they do sell uh, mitts that you can wear in between shots. They see these big bulky mitts that would slide over your hands if you were wearing gloves. Yeah. So the idea is that you can just very between shots you put these mitts on. I actually kind of wanted to go buy a pair because they're they seem like they'd just be comfortable mitts. You have to be really committed to be out on a day like today. On my way home from 
Sports Sunday yesterday, I think I saw some people out at Kildonan Golf Course. So uh, kudos to you if you've been golfing through this the last couple of days. Um, boy, lots of text messages on this sologamy thumb stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Holy. People uh, have their opinions. People have a great sense of humor as well. So I dig that. Um, what did Les say? I, I like life not affected by other. Oh, I like life not affected by others. Uh, but I wouldn't marry myself. I don't believe in marriage. <laughs> Les doesn't believe in marriage. Right. So that's really, that's really a statement there, isn't it? We also had a question and I can't find the text here, but the question was, oh no, you know what? Pardon me. It was an email to Brett at CJOB.com. This is from Curtis who says, so Brett, if you get to marry yourself, does this mean a social is still allowed? Ah, of course it would have to be a Manitoba question. Yes, I like that. Good thought. You know what? I, If somebody wants to, to go through the trouble of organizing a social for themselves, that's fine. I'll buy a ticket because it's no dip. To, the way that I'm kind of looking at this is how much money would I spend going just out for the night right? at whatever? If I just went and sat at a pub for mm-hmm. a few hours, how much money am I going to spend? So I would just take that money and turn it towards a social instead. And same thing for the wedding. If I go to a sologamy wedding... And spend whatever the the cost is for dinner and drinks. What, what, what is the the going rate now for one person? I think it's the minimum seventy five now. Oh, you're talking about presentation. Yeah. Oh boy, that's a thorn in my side. That discussion. Uh, I would say seventy five bucks a head is kind of minimum right now. Yeah. So that's about what I would spend on an average night out. Seventy five to a hundred dollars. So again, I don't really have a problem with that, provided that it's a it's a solid event that it's a good meal and that it's an open bar, then yeah, what? why not? If you want to throw a party for yourself and need to declare to the world that you're a sologamist, okay, as long as it's fun. If it's fun for you, probably going to be fun for me too. Yeah, lots of us have birthday parties every year, so that's sort of the same idea, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the, the birthday, that's really the one excuse, the one time where you can just say to all of your friends, it's time to celebrate <laughs> me. It's all about moi. And I don't care what you think. It's all me tonight. Come buy me a drink. <laughs> Bring me gifts. <laughs> Shower me with adoration. I need your love. I <laughs> need your ounces pure... of Crown Royal at a time, please. <laughs> please. Four. Forty. Oh, 40 ounces <laughs> 40. at a time. <laughs> 26 is fine, too. Yep. Yeah. You'll be allowed in the door. Won't kick you out after an hour or so. 26 is a good cover charge. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, sologamy. We did look into the MGTOW. This is a text. Sologamy, yes. nothing new. Men, MGTOW, men going their own way, has been around for a while now. That's what a listener texted us at 204-780-6868. And Greg, look into it, and it sounds like these are some angry folks. Uh, yes, uh, Vice has done a story on them. Uh, here's part of that. Uh, conversation or that article, they call themselves men going their own way and they dislike feminism so much they're grabbing their balls and going home. Oh, that mm-hmm. sounds figurative. And literal. And literal. Mm-hmm. All over the world, straight men are making the conscientious decision not to be involved with women. But why does it always have to turn into something anti? You know, I've ranted on this before, the idea of just because you're proud of who you are and what you want to be, why does it so often turn into, yeah, well, I love me and I don't like you. Leave the I don't like you out of it. 
Celebrate yourself. Be happy with who you are. You don't have to hate somebody else to justify your position. Coming and up to 3 o'clock on 680 CJOB. Been a busy day. Bit of diverse conversation this afternoon. We started out talking a little bit about Tiger Woods. He's in trouble with the law. DUI charges. We don't know if it's alcohol or drugs that he's been... Uh, accused of having in his body above a legal limit in Florida. I'm sure we will learn more in the hours and days to come on that topic. Highlighted the idea not only of the dangers of driving while impaired, but the idea that athletes who have lots of money, first and foremost, should, you know, just pick up a phone. Why do you have a opportunity to drive in the first place? Why don't you have a driver? <laughs> and in Tiger Woods' case... Uh, you know, like money is no object. Like, come on, man. And it also speaks to the idea that this is not going away in our society anytime soon. As much as we all know we shouldn't be drinking and driving, uh, every weekend, every day, someone's getting charged with with driving under the influence. And are we not getting the message on that? And it also turned into a little bit of a conversation, some text messages here about the whole thoughts of athletes as role models. This conversation comes up. And I have always said with Tiger Woods from when his indiscretions uh, within and outside of his marriage came to light, Tiger Woods always painted himself as someone who was above that. We didn't assume that. He presented himself in such a way that he was working with kids and his Nike foundation and his commercials for Buick and other products. He was working to portray a certain image. And I don't think we should be... Uh, deemed gullible about someone like that who's trying to paint their image a certain way. Where, where do you come in on the whole idea of athletes being viewed as role models? It's funny because when I was a teenager and I was looking, you know, I watched a lot of basketball all the time. So Charles Barkley was the one who would speak out against this and say, I'm not a role model. Parents mm-hmm. are role models. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking I fully agree with Charles because I wasn't going to go out and act like them. I liked them on the court, but I didn't really care about their their personal lives. And I could tell when they were doing things that were wrong. I remember when Magic Johnson announced his retirement from basketball because he had uh, he had picked up HIV because he was sleeping around on the road. And I remember thinking, oh... Like this was Magic Johnson was my favorite basketball player and I looked up to him as an athlete and as a man. And then he goes and does that. And I thought, well, that's kind of skeezy. So I was able even at, I think that was around 14 when that happened. I'm not. I'm can't it was 1991. Okay. Yep. So that would have been 14. So the, the role model thing, I was always in agreement with Charles. And, but then as time has gone on, I, I, I sort of think, well, whether or not, athletes choose to be role models, I think is irrelevant because a lot of kids are going to look up to them mm-hmm. both for their athletic endeavors and maybe for the way that they act in real life. And I, I don't think, I don't think it can hurt. I don't think that athletes should or you know, must hold themselves to a higher standard in terms of behavior, but it certainly can't hurt to at least think about what you're doing rather than just go out and, and be a jerk. 
You know, and if you portray yourself one way, maybe you don't talk to the media. Media, You don't put yourself out there for personal interviews, GQ, specials, something in Sports Illustrated. And you want to be and sort of declare yourself, maybe not even publicly because that's not your thing, to be sort of off limits and to be non-accommodating with the media. You can kind of fall back on that and say, yeah, I didn't, that's not part of the job I was interested in. Mm. But Tiger Woods marketed himself, shared his story, shared intimate details about who he was growing up. I think he even wrote a book, for crying out loud. And if he didn't write a book, he certainly had enough books written about him, authorized or otherwise, to give us some insight into who Tiger Woods really was. And I think he played that up in his marketing. And I think that's a little bit different when you put yourself out there and you pour Portray yourself a certain way, I think all bets are off as to whether or not you should be viewed as a role model because some people put themselves out there and allow themselves to be portrayed that way. Well, and if that's the image that he's shilling, then he wants to be seen as an idol. And I think Tiger Woods was the reason why golf saw popularity surge. Young people wanted to get involved because everybody wanted to be like Tiger. All the kids wanted to be like Tiger Woods. And I still remember the Nike ad of Tiger coming over the horizon of the fairway with this legion of people slowly emerge with him as they're following him down the fairway. They were, so that, that was clearly a part of his marketing and image that this is a guy you want to follow. And he clearly was on board with that. So, yeah, that's what he wanted to, that's what he told the world. I am someone that you want to look up to. How about Michael Jordan? Be like Mike. Yeah, if I could, could be, be like Mike. any more clear. There was a song about it. Be like Mike. If I could be like Mike, I want to be, I want to be like Mike. And he had to sign off on that and say, yep, I'm okay. Well, here's a guy who gambles on the golf course, <laughs> a guy who's now divorced from his wife. And uh, I don't know why he's divorced from his wife, so I won't speculate. But he's a normal guy. Regular guy with tons of money and one of the top three basketball players of all time. But he portrayed a certain image publicly that said, hey, be like me. I'm the guy, drink Gatorade, and you can be like Mike. You have a different responsibility at that point when you declare yourself in that fashion. Who are the other two greatest basketball players? Well, one is still playing, LeBron, LeBron James, and I would say Wilt Chamberlain. Wilt the Stilt? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Those would be my three. I'd be curious to see how Wilt would fare against uh, modern competition. Yeah, you still can't stop them. They still wouldn't be able to stop them. No, on and the I, inside I, game. Yeah, and I'm not. I I don't. I, I admit I've read his book, but uh, as I think about it, I don't know that I would know enough about Will Chamberlain to to make the comparison. Only guy to score 100 points in a game. Yeah, yeah, that's a record that'll never. Well, it's come, people have come close. I think could Kobe get 81? Kobe is at 81. Yeah, that's insanity. Kobe Bryant was pretty good, too. Anyway, not a lot of basketball fans out there. The NBA Finals, as they call it, I think uh, don't start until Thursday. The National Hockey League Championship, formerly known as the Stanley Cup Final, starts tonight. Nashville and Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, the Penguins hosting the first two games. Boy, would I do just about anything to be in Nashville on Saturday night when they host Game 3. What a party that is going to be in Tennessee. Oh, my gosh. Those fans are, they are fantastic. Absolutely love the way they are embracing hockey in Nashville, Tennessee, and this run by their hockey team. The first number 16 seed to ever make it 
to the Stanley Cup final. It's a good story. So you're rooting for the Banjo Cats? I am cheering for the uh, Banjo Cats as our Christian O'Mel has uh, deemed them, yes. Coming up to 315, which means we're going to have a look at traffic and weather up next. I'm trying to remember when we first found out that Cirque du Soleil, Curios, Cabinet of Curiosities was coming to Winnipeg. Feels like months ago now. Yep. Well, opening night is just about upon us. Correct. As the big top has been erected at the intersection of Sterling Lion Parkway and Keniston Boulevard. It's a massive tent. It'll be there uh, through the entire month of June, correct, Amundo? Yeah, June 2nd all the way through to July 9th, I believe. Fantastic. So we've been building up this fantastic show as something that you'll want to see. Well, guess what? We like to not only talk the talk, we like to walk the walk around here. We're going to give some stuff away. I haven't played this uh, music for a while. It's sort of the default, let's give some stuff away music. But the last few times we've had things to give away, it's involved music. <laughs> so we use the music for that, particular, like Unraveling the Wilburys, for example. Well, today, regarding Cirque du Soleil, Curios, Cabinet of Curiosities, Greg came up with a great question. This will require either some already pre-existing knowledge or some research. It's a two-part question. What city was Curios just in? So their last stop on their tour was what city? And what city are they visiting after Winnipeg? 204-780-6868 is the number to call. What city was Curios just in on their tour? And what city are they going to after Winnipeg? 204-780-6868. Is the number to call. We need you to phone, not text. You got to pick up the phone and call 204 780 I'm of a certain age that when I hear you utter those words, pick up the phone, I can't help but be reminded of that television commercial. Pick up the phone. Pick up the phone. That's right. <laughs> Do you remember? Was And I, I'm not sure if it was the same ad, but there was... Uh, I think it was a it was a telephone line for like a like a party line or something, and they did. There was a full half hour infomercial, I think. And there was I don't the, remember that showing you how it works. No, I, or maybe it was just a, com- a long commercial. But it was this guy, this this funny looking little guy who would come <laughs> on and say, "It's private, confidential, one on one, and discreet." <laughs> he would and he would often like sort of hold his hand up and then slide it across his chest. Discreet, and then you come back with the other hand. Discreet, sure, sure. I'm Does, sure it was very discreet. Doesn't ring any bells on your this, phone bill when it comes back at three hundred ninety-seven dollars or whatever it was. This would have been circa 1995 because I remember being in my first year of university and hearing other students talking about this stupid infomercial. But I always looked forward to seeing it because there were there were often scantily clad women's fairly provocative. Yes. We were talking the other day about that warning about nudity and sexual content and uh, harsh language before certain uh, TV shows begin or maybe in between the break. Yep. And I asked you, I saw it the other day and I thought, yeah, I want to know, is that a promise or a warning? (laughs) That's what I really want to know. A promise. A promise. We promise there will be. We promise. Yeah. Are you trying to scare me away from the program? Because it's not working if that's the sort of disclaimer you're going to put on it. They probably just have to. It's probably just to prevent them from being sued. Yeah, it's always about CYA, Brett McGarry. 
What does that mean? Oh, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. Cover your anatomy. Uh, yeah, certain part of your anatomy, very specific part. So Jeff Forte is still looking for a winner at 204-780-6868. Still looking? The Clay Man is standing by with sports after we have a quick look at your forecast two minutes from now. 3.38, Greg and Brett with you until 4 o'clock. Richard Cloutier on a special assignment this week. You know what? I'm tired of covering from He's on holidays. <laughs> He never likes the idea. He's out of the province, so I can say this very calmly, coolly, and collected. Uh, yeah, he doesn't like uh, people to know that he, he actually sleeps at night and that he actually takes the odd day off. So, really? Yeah. Yeah. So, we're bursting that bubble. Sorry, man. Cluche's on holidays for at least a week here. So, Matt Cardi's in for Richard with Julie Buckingham and the news from four until seven. Our good friend. Charles Adler, who joined us earlier this afternoon, will be on from 9 till midnight, and then it's Coast to Coast AM. Do you, do you still find yourself listening to Coast to Coast every I, once in a while? Oh, sure. Coast to Coast is a wonderful show. And I, I mean, it, for me, it'll always have a special place in my heart because my first job here was as an overnight board operator. So I listened to Coast to Coast, and I remember George Norrie and I... I always I like George Norrie, but I always enjoyed Art Bell a little bit more because he'd come on from his bunker in Las Vegas or whatever, and he'd come on from the high. De what did he say? Hang on, from the high desert in the great American Southwest. I bid you all good morning, good evening, wherever you may be. Very Something, nice. I used to know it uh, top or by heart, but I guess it's been so long. And we then, need to get George Norrie on this show. Oh man, that'd be. I wonder how many hoops that you'd have to go through to get George Norrie on. I feel like getting George Norrie on would be harder than getting the prime minister on. Let's try. <laughs> okay. Okay. We're making a pledge right now to have George Norrie on this program, uh, maybe uh, at some point this summer. Uh, many of you may be receiving notifications in the mail. If you haven't received them other ways, TELUS begins its transitioning 100,000 customers from Bell MTS in Manitoba. Here's the story from Global News. The transition has begun. You've been reading it this afternoon, Brett, for Bell MTS customers who will soon be switched over to TELUS. As of last week, letters started going out to customers who will be receiving packages in the mail with information about the process. It's expected to take about two months to reach all 100,000 customers who will be affected as the letters are going out in waves. The trans Transition is part of Bell's $3.9 billion acquisition of MTS that was finalized in March. Bell agreed to sell 100,000 wireless customers as well as 15 stores to TELUS. So uh, you might be switching even though you had zero intention of ever being a TELUS customer. Yeah, that would burn me. I would, I would be really, really peeved about that if that were the case, if I were to, if I chose to be with yeah, well, let's okay. For example, I let's say I chose to be with MTS, right? And then it's now Bell MTS, so that might grind my gears, but whatever. Can't really do anything about that. But then, and this isn't a comment about Telus or anybody really. But if I am a customer, I have chosen to go with MTS now, Bell right. MTS, and then I'm told you're now with Telus. That would bother me because I made the decision to go with that company for whatever reason. I'm trying to think of a point in time when anything like this has ever happened before, kind of this forced migration of a customer base from one provider to another, whether it be cell phones, 
Coca-Cola or anything else. I guess there was that forced migration, but that was because of a sale, right? Remember, Vidion Cable. Mm. And then on the east side of the river, I don't know what it was called because I never lived over there uh, ever before I was married. So uh, Vidion became Shaw Cable, and of course, Shaw now a part of the Coors family. Uh, This whole idea of uh, forced migration because of a sale is one thing, but another because it's kind of the terms of the sale. I guess this is out of the idea of the Competition Act or something similar, and only so many customers can be in the hands of certain providers. And, of course, a lot of people won't know this. I had a little bit of experience in the telecommunications world, but TELUS didn't have full coverage in Manitoba. The entire time TELUS was in Manitoba, TELUS and MTS, before it was bought by Bell, could never come to an agreement on co-location on towers. And so TELUS's coverage was basically the city of Winnipeg into Selkirk and Steinbeck, and then it stretched out. They put up some towers along the Trans-Canada Highway, and that was really the extent of the network in in Manitoba. Conversely, some MTS customers, when they went to TELUS country, MTS and TELUS didn't have a reciprocating agreement, so you could be outside of major cities in Alberta and BC where it was only TELUS towers, and you would find yourself without service. Oh, wow. Outside of Manitoba in BC and Alberta, outside of the major centers where uh, Rogers and MTS did have a co-location or or using the, the same uh, radios, as they would call, and transmitters uh, in place. So it's been an arduous... Uh, process for TELUS to get to this point and have full coverage in Manitoba. So they have that now. And now as a part of this deal, 100,000, 100,000 customers are going from Bell MTS to TELUS uh, with absolutely zero choice of their own. I wonder if these customers will have the option to, or the, to, to leave without a penalty. Like if they say, you know what, I get that this is part of the deal, but uh, it's not something I want to be a part of, so I want out and I want to go to I want to go back to Bell MTS, or maybe I want to jump ship to Rogers or whatever the case is. I'm I wonder if they'll be allowed to do that given some sort of uh, special exemption depending on where they are in their contract, because you know a contract is a contract, but this I wasn't part of the original contract. No, it's an interesting point you make. If you're having an interaction with this transition, you're personally affected and you've got some insight. We'd love to hear from you. Brett at cjob.com, gmac at cjob.com. If you are a part of this transition, you're being told that you are now a TELUS customer. Um, whether you're happy about it or not, maybe you could fill in some details for us. We'd love to hear from you here at 680 CJOB. Eve has just quickly texted us to say, I once was with MTS, chose to go to Bell. And then, mm. and so now he ended up back with MTS, sort of, before being forced into TELUS. So Eve is one of these people who is affected. So Eve, please feel free to give us more details again. Brett at cjob.com. Mad Max says, several years ago, CIBC sold my credit card subscription to TD. Oh. Says he's still mad about it. In fact, <laughs> it's right there in his nickname. Still. Mad Max. <laughs> Mad Max, thank you for that feedback. And again, uh, just let us know. Brett at cjob.com, gmac at cjob.com. Oh, and before I forget, I almost forgot, congratulations go out to Justin Mills for 
Cirque du Soleil, Curios, Cabinet of Curiosities. It opens this Friday under the big top Sterling Lion at Keniston. Today's question was, what city was Curios just in? What was the previous stop on the tour before Winnipeg? And what city is it visiting after Winnipeg? And the answers are Houston and Edmonton. And Greg actually remembered this. <laughs> I don't know how you remember that. And I, now that you mention it, I remember you posing the question, but you remember this from our interview that we did with Cirque du Soleil a few months ago when it was first announced. I did. I'm, Good I'm, memory. I'm not always, Brett, but uh, this one stuck in my mind. So, uh, yeah, congratulations. Who's the winner? Justin Mills. Congratulations, Justin. Uh, I'm looking forward to going to see the show myself. So I imagine uh, when we had Kevin Donnelly on the program, he says uh, between 90 and 100,000 people will see this show in its five, six-week run here in Winnipeg. So uh, looking forward to the first reviews and people's take on this gigantic show under the big top. Should be a, a lot of fun. It is 346. We'll have a look at traffic and then weather up next. Usually we're lamenting Conkin's forecast because the temperatures are too low or there's precipitation. Now I'm lamenting the fact that there is no precipitation. He's saying that there's not going to be any rain this evening. I want rain. I want rain. Why? Well, because we have baseball scheduled for tonight. It's too cold. No, no, no. My kid's scheduled to ump tonight. He wants to make money. Yeah, well, I want to take money out of his pocket. <laughs> you can pay for whatever stuff he's got going on oh, this sure, week. Oh, sure, sure. I, yeah. Please rain. I did. There like, is rain on the on the radar. There is. It's coming up from the north, right? Uh, really heavy, actually, up towards Gimli, and so maybe it'll just kind of catch us up in St. Paul. You still have to make the game up. I don't care. I just don't want to be outside when what is it? Nine degrees right oh. now. Give me Bundle a break, up, Buttercup. Oh, yeah, it's fine for football or soccer. <laughs> Baseball summer sport. Hello. The Gold Eyes, by the way, yes. are celebrating last year's championship tonight. I feel sorry for them because they're going to be wearing uh, garbage mitts to pull the, the championship flag up the pole. Yes? That's a weather-permitting game for sure. <laughs> yeah, without doubt. Yeah. Without doubt. What else you got uh, cooking for us we this have, afternoon? We uh, have a ton Don't of stuff. roll your eyes at me. <laughs> wow. That wasn't really meant for that. Oh, okay. We do. We have a oh, ton of stuff more, today. You're looking yes, at the we top have a of busy the pile. show. Yes, we do. We'll uh, find out more uh, about the mom of the, of the little girl that was hit on the bicycle. We will hear from Sheldon Rogers, who spoke with both mom and daughter today to find out how the little girl is doing as a result of this hit and run that happened in Charleswood. And we will also speak with Mark Coho of uh, Bike Winnipeg on what exactly we should be teaching our kids in terms of bike safety. We used to do those bike rodeos, right? And they would check our skills and we would think it was fun. But at the end of the day, they were checking to make sure we could operate our bikes properly. And I think that, you know, Matt had a close call and we've all had those moments when when those kids are scaring us and make sure as you get in the bikes out, your child is properly sized for the bike that they're riding as well. We're also going to uh, get the latest on the police chopper. Obviously a very contentious issue there that's always being scrutinized in the media by us and by the public as well. So we're going to speak with uh, David Asper, who is the uh, newly appointed Winnipeg Police Board Chair about what the future is with the chopper. We're also going to speak with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation about what their take is on the Air One chopper as well. We are understanding that the numbers comparing 2015 to 2016 are down, uh, but majority of that 
that reason was for maintenance. The chopper was down for maintenance. We knew their camera was down for a long time. So we're really seeing if the costs are uh, outweighing the uh, benefit of uh, the chopper. How do you measure that? How do you measure that exactly? Like, Good question. Uh, I mean, what we're going to find out ultimately is if it costs $2 million to run that helicopter, would they be better off spending that $2 million on more boots on the ground, for well, example. What I want to know is how and do they prove that? Well, that's how their report, that's what their report is going to do. So they say is, you know, figure out if it's really worth our money uh, to put this thing in the air every day. Prime Minister had audience with the Pope today asking for an apology on the residential school's reaction from the director of the Truth and Reconciliation Centre, Ryan Moran, will join us as well. And Quirky Affairs reporter Christian O'Mell is... What was uh, Christian up to today? The Bare Necessities. Ah, the yes. Bare Necessities. Fantastic. Matt Gardy, Julie Buckingham, thank you for this introduction into what you'll have for us from 4 till 7 this evening right here on 680 CJOB. we got a text that says it's pouring in Selkirk, Greg. Oh, that's good sign. That's getting close. Right on. Greg loves, hard. Greg loves going to baseball games with his kids. I, I love going to baseball. I don't like sitting outside when it's freezing cold, Brett. I want everyone to understand that this is a, I fear for their safety. I don't want them to get frostbite playing baseball. It's not part of baseball. There's no crying in baseball and there's no frostbite in baseball. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling, Jeff Forte and Master Control. Thank you very much, sir. The news with Matt Cardi and Julie Buckingham is up next.